Can we talk about a little bit of daylight savings time? Because that's apparently that we just passed a law. Can we talk about how I had to end up owning a dog at the age of 60 to discover that grapes are poisonous for dogs? They are. What I mean is that Cary Grant would have been a great Sherman McCoy. No, he wouldn't because he was too likable. Oh, yeah, that's the whole point about Sherman McCoy is you make sure. No, no, that okay. you're wrong. You got to be likable. It's you're not you're not casting the literary okay. figure who who represents something in the book. You're casting somebody that you're rooting for. You're rooting for him to win. You got to want him to win, even though. I mean, Tony Soprano is likable. It's the Ides of March, so it's Glop Culture. John Podhoritz in New York, elsewhere in New York, Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. How are you? And in his beautiful ochre basement in Washington, wow. Jonah Goldberg. Sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a stage name. Starring Ochre Basement as the <laughs> So So here's here's the great thing about Jonah's about Jonah and uh, being on this Zoom with Jonah, which you can't see, is that Jonah has a perfectly placed over his right shoulder the dispatch logo yeah. thing, but you're not seeing it because this is a podcast. It's like the thing that he's supposed to do on television. No, he's frozen. Jonah's frozen. He's frozen in front of his logo item. That was very weird. My computer straight up, like, I, I've never seen a Mac do this, just flat out turned off. I got a static charge through my headphones. Whoa. It Whoa. just disappeared. So, Do you have superpowers now? You, you're you're podcast man. You're pod man. <laughs> it's, uh... if, 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 if I don't, if, if it happens again and I don't come back on within, like, 60 seconds, someone call my wife or, the, or 911 because it means I have a lot of You know, the Lincoln Project would, would think that, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's um, Brad Parscale. Uh, all right. Yeah. So, pod, well, should pod we start was, over? Po- no, this, is, okay. this, 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 this is a happening. Um, I was talking pod, about your logo over your yeah, shoulder. Pod was giving me grief about the sign behind me, as if, like, when I do TV afterwards, I strike the set and get rid of the sign. I just said it just sits there all the time. That's all. But, but here's the thing. Um, if I were do, if I were that guy on Twitter who rates rooms of Zoom rooms, you know, people have you ever seen this room yeah, rater? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you're a little sloppy there. Yeah, you I know. know. I move the your piles books of books. Are all, your books are all know. like leaning matter. over. It sort of like matter. looks like Pompeii. I don't know. It does. Besides matter. that, room rater guys are red. You know. Is he? Oh yeah. No. Oh, he, he, oh, he only likes. He only likes. Uh, you know, Rachel Maddow. Yeah, kind of it's a classic example of like what happened with dog raids too, like where people get corrupted by politics and they can't just stay in their lane. It was a fun, fun account that raided people's rooms on TV. And then all of a sudden he was like giving ones and zeros to Trumpies and and nines and tens to MSNBC people. And it's just like, look, it's entirely possible that that Roger Stone may suck as a human being, but have a nice room, you know? I mean, like, you um, know? Can I point out, you mentioned MSNBC, so the news of the day or the last day, day and a half, is that MSNBC was in negotiations talking to Keith Olbermann about taking Rachel Maddow's job <laughs> when she leaves sometime this year. 
And I'm thinking, you know, whatever you think of Fox, and we can talk about that, Fox mints new personalities like all the time. Like Jesse Waters came out of nowhere. Greg Gutfeld came out of Dana. Now, Dana Perino was a White House press secretary, but like they just, they manufacture new celebrities. And MSNBC apparently, with this big hole in its schedule because Maddow is leaving the air, is like going back to Keith Olbermann. Right. Well, I have a a theory about that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it, it, and it's not it's not an all explanatory theory because we should leave open the possibility that anyone who thinks Keith Olbermann is worth putting on TV has other issues involved. But um, I remember back in the day, and full disclosure, I'm now a CNN guy. But like when CNN was in bad ratings hell, and they they wanted to update, unlike. A different, <laughs> under a different regime, right? Oh, so right, okay. they, they wanted to, uh, you know, fix the problem. And so what they did was they brought in Carville and Begala as hosts of Crossfire. Sure. And I, th- I think part of the thing is that when you get into a panic about being in a ratings freefall kind of thing, it's sort of like hiring McKenzie. You know, you, you want to be yeah. able to defend the des- decision by saying, this guy used to get good ratings, so we're just going to get him and put him in rather than, like, develop a talent or even promote from within. Right. And it's also, like, there's it all goes to the, there was a lunch, probably, you know, somewhere midtown, Michael's, say. It was a lunch between um, Olbermann and whoever, you know, is going to make this decision. It was Phil decision. Griffin. It was the MSNBC yeah. and so, right. honcho who was so working the, with Rachel Maddow. So they, so they had a lunch. And at the lunch, Olbermann said, look, look, did I go too far? Yeah, I, I, I own that. OK, <laughs> what I'm, I own that I went too far. That's I did. OK, that's just let me just get that off. I, I, yes. If that's what this lunch is about. Hey, Keith, did you go too far? Yes. But on the other hand, I had an <laughs> audience and, a, and a, a voice that I feel like I'm not saying put me back. I'm really not. I'm totally not saying that. I'm, I, whatever. I'm just saying, put somebody like me back. <laughs> and if it is me, you should know that I know I went too far. Really, I do. I think I just want the, the, the when you walk through those restaurants, and you see those lunches. All it is is one person saying like, you know, if you could just tune the radio so you weren't hearing the words, but you were hearing what they were really saying. And what they're really saying is, I want money. <laughs> and the other I is like, I, don't know if I want to give you money. I want that- money. People don't understand. There's this whole idea somehow that Fox invented like hyper partisan programming. And that is not true. Keith Olbermann is the author of modern cable television. Keith Olbermann is the guy who on a show on a struggling network that he couldn't couldn't make much sense out of that they couldn't make much sense out of. Um, around 2005 started like going off the rails this category on his show he called worst person in the world every day which then you know which then morphed into this 10 minute long diatribe either at the beginning or the end of the show totally you know ideologically driven about the evils of bush and all of that that was not fox that was Olbermann, Fox was, you know, O'Reilly, who was a sure. populist and didn't really have politics in the in the way that we understand them now. Hannity was balanced not particularly well or not particularly seriously by Combs. Brett 
uh, Brit Hume had Brit Hume had special report, and the rest of the network was you know newsish. You know, Greta von Susteren. Remember Greta von Susteren? Greta von Susteren. So like, Olbermann, I, the reason I say Greta von Olbermann I think created Greta, yeah, the entire, yeah. and then Olbermann made Rachel Maddow. Sure. Rachel Maddow was a sort of academic a weirdo whom he started booking all the time and sort of made her his successor in some fashion. And I just think what's interesting is Fox is such a machine and creates yeah. commands such loyalty among its viewers and, and all that, that they can just, you know, pluck these people. And, you know, Jesse Waters, can, whom I have nothing but contempt for, can start a show at seven o'clock at night and suddenly get two and a half million people to watch well, it in like it, four days. But I, it's the half that isn't watching the other. That's the thing is that they split that. They, they keep the 50 percent. Everybody else has to fight for the fifty percent. CNN and MSNBC fight for it. Fox I will. I, I agree with your point to an extent. I will say, though, as a matter of chronology, the person who, <laughs> in other words, think, accuracy. De- no, no, de- well, maybe <laughs> deserves who started it more on cable news uh, was Charles Grodin. Oh, okay, but oh, nobody wow. saw that. That's show. a deep cut right yeah. there. That That's was because that was cut. that was CNBC. Riveting. He wasn't even on MSNBC. Right. Is that but it right? Was riveting. He was yeah, on CNBC. CNBC. I thought he was on MSNBC. No, no. Well, you're I'm forgiven for that check. mistake because they were. But 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 yeah, he was riveting. But I, I feel like it was. Doctor Wikipedia says the show was dropped by CNBC in 1998, but aired for final years a weekly show on MSNBC. Right, but, but I think you you were referring to the week the the nightly show. I was referring to what a jackass he was. Um, and also, yeah. if we're gonna do the, if we're gonna play this memory lane game, yeah. Um, and he was on CNBC, I believe. Geraldo Rivera's CNBC show during well, the Clinton impeachment show. thing was um, wildly nakedly <laughs> asininely partisan. Uh-huh. Right. Just, just okay. throwing it out there. I, I, right, I, I, say- I, I have two memories. One is <clears throat> um, offering a role to Charles Grodin and having the meeting and sitting down and having him say, uh, I, 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 I don't want to be an actor anymore. I don't want to. I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why they're making me have these meetings. I don't want to be an actor. I, I want to be on 60 Minutes. <laughs> I want to be on 60 and like, like, oh, well, Charles Grodin's gone insane, clearly. Uh, then a year later, he's on CNBC. But, the, but I, th- I think, I, I still think you're probably right about Olbermann in general, just in terms of tone and style, because Olbermann was the first person, the at least modern person, to be the left wing uh, Aaron Sorkin character on mm-hmm. TV. Right. You know, Olbermann right. kept saying, How dare you, sir? Stand yeah. down, sir. We used to like speak directly to Bush or somebody. <laughs> How dare you, yeah. sir? This weird like pomposity. Yeah. But the whole point like, is that MSNBC. I am now the, the nation's voice rising against the despot. How dare you, sir? MSNBC had no idea what it was. It had Joe Scarborough in the morning. It had it was, Tucker. It was, it it was, had, too, it was actually uh, sort of networks. like it was trying to be a little less right wing than Fox. It was sort of like more moderate than Fox or something like Phil Griffin, who took it over, was a disciple of Roger Ailes's. And, you know, he hired this Republican congressman to run his morning show. You know, it was like it was not. And Olbermann is the one who found the MSNBC voice, which is 
I hate conservatives. I hate mm-hmm. all yeah, conservatives. Right. I from Bush, and you know what? If his name isn't Bush, it doesn't matter because his name might as well be Bush. And if you and you're and Jonah Goldberg is the worst person in the world. Three times I, mean, I got that on. Three times. Congratulations! Really? How dare you, I sir? How dare you, sir? <laughs> the worst person in the world. And you know, um, I remind so, you to your Oka basement, sir. <laughs> Anyway, um, you know, so I just think it's interesting that, like, I'm just saying, like, the only people they try to mint are like Joy Reid, you know, who Joy Reid, who had a great moment in the last two weeks where she announced that we were paying too much attention to Ukraine only because they were white people in Ukraine. Like, um, that was a really, that was a, that was a, that's someone who knows right. how to read the room and read her audience. Also, oh boy. I, I, now that we've, I mean, we've opened this, this, this Ark of the Covenant face melting topic. Um, uh, in a weird way, I'm uncomfortable with this Jewish ritual. And <laughs> MSNBC is to blame for the worst part of the Fox model, too. And not just because of the Overman thing. We are overlooking the fact that MSNBC, first of all, kind of created Tucker, also created um, uh, Michael Savage. Remember, Michael Savage had a show yep. on MSNBC yep. and someone actually not only s- put these words in this order, but put them on TV for an indeterminate number of nights. Alan Keyes is making sense. Alan <laughs> yeah, Keyes. Remember that? <laughs> and he had an, ar- he had an audience, too. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, you remember like S- CNN, which also didn't really know what it was, but at least it had this brand identity as the first name in news in the place you turned when there was a crisis. They were flailing all over the place with Parker. Remember Parker Spitzer? That was Kathleen <laughs> wow. Parker, the columnist, and Elliot Spitzer. Good times. Um, wow. Fantastic. And Fox always knew what it was, you know, and it was it was something right. that then morphed into something else over time. Like it was this. Everything always does. You know, and famously, though, Glenn Beck was very good to Jonah, right? Glenn Beck played a real role in helping to sell liberal fascism and make it a, a you know, number one bestseller. Though he made more money off of it than I did, I got to tell you. But that's a okay, different story. Well, well, there you go. I don't even <laughs> want to know about wow. that. I didn't know that was probably, I, I, uh, wow, that's fantastic. Good for him, yeah, I got to okay, say. Yeah. He, did, he did live in-person roadshows all across the country, basically paraphrasing my whole book in filling stadiums with it. Um, okay, well. Anyway. Anyway, just to just to get to the point, like so, there was Glenn Beck. He had the he had the number one show in cable, sure. And Roger Ailes fired him when he was number one in cable on the grounds that one day he was going to go too far, and Roger didn't want to have to clean up the you know the bomb site after the bomb went off. That that's the kind of. Uh, game that that Ailes played like he was keeping Fox very much in some kind of equilibrium uh, emotional equilibrium even as it was you know the conservative voice or the conservative alternative or something like that and then a you know he he came a cropper the way he came a cropper and b Trump came in and uh and you know sort of upset the apple cart and changed all the all the terms of the debate but I just want to get back to the fact that um they don't know what to do on msnbc now because they're losing their biggest star right and uh, the only one who gets rating the only one yeah but it's a a trouble with the pie like you only can cut it so many places like if you hated trump 
and were watching TV and wanted to watch the news and you hated Trump, you could watch MSNBC or you could watch CNN. Uh, if you love Trump, you could only watch Fox. If you uh, if you believe that, you know, the late night shows are uh, entirely too partisan and pro pro Democrat and liberal, which is true, they are, then you're going to watch Gutfeld. He only gets has to get half. I know. But the, by the way, CN, CN, CNN and MSNBC haven't been splitting up half the pie msnbc is twice has twice the viewership right. but that's the, that, that's the, that's the it, death spiral yeah. of cnn that's just cnn's right. gotta gotta figure it out which is the now, idea that, like, cnn this is the big question about cnn now that it has right well, have this new ownership that. that's what and i was gonna, ukraine okay i'm sorry i interrupted you i was about to say that like that's what cnn has to decide like they have this moment now especially right this minute right because that is you go to the you go to see when there's a giant world global crisis that's what, what cnn was built on the first gulf war this is a war this is where you go right unfortunately now all we watch are like our 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 uh, on air personalities ducking from noise um that's pretty much what we see now uh but they have a moment the, the moment is to go back do the boring stuff go be in the center it's a huge big fat donut in the center go take it fox news can't get it and MSNBC can't get it. You can get it, but you have to. In order to do that, you have to stop putting on your own version of Rachel Maddow and Keith Olbermann, Don Lemon, and Chris Cuomo, and you have to start putting on. You know, I give the whole thing. The if you can't pass the Jake Tapper test, you shouldn't even be on CNN. Meaning that, that just that's my view. That there's so much opportunity in the center, but I don't know if they have anybody who there who recognizes what the center is anymore. Well, you know, they hired Casey Hunt to basically anchor their new streaming service, right? So she's an interesting ideological type because she, I think she's from a military family. I'm not sure, but she's, you know, she's always like calling out the troops and talking about the people in uniform and all of that and is very conscious of having a brand that isn't the MSNBC brand where she, where she mostly, you know, right. labored right. for, for years. And again, um, they did bring on Jonah Goldberg, you know, which they did. And well, I, you know, and I, 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 I really yeah. hope that, uh, that, um, you know, I, I want to see you go up against Gutfeld. That's but you what, know what I want. I'll I want be Goldberg honest with you. versus Gutfeld. <laughs> I'll 11. be honest yeah. with you, Jonah. Like they, they just want you for the dog content. It's the dog content. That's fine. You know, I'll, whatever gets me in the door. <laughs> and listen, Come for the dogs. Listen. Stay for the penetrating analysis. Listen, you know, when you're making hard decisions like this as a newly, you know, as a new executive, newly minted executive, like this guy, Chris Licht, was going to run CNN, you got to be comfortable while you're making these decisions. So I recommend that Chris Lick get himself an X chair. Because while he is trying to figure out what to do with his network, his body better be relaxed. And when you sit in your X chair, your body immediately says, ah, so this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Can your can Chris Lick's current office chair give him a massage while he's working? His X chair could. Could Chris Lick's current office chair heat up or cool down? His X chair could. All in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once Chris Lick felt 
the customized supportive of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, you would never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons Chris Lick would love his X-Chair. He wouldn't be able to wait to be at work or to make these tough decisions and fire junky, horrible people like Don Lemon. And sometimes, even when he's not working, he'd just sit in his X-Chair just to get that feeling. So like Chris Lick, try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. And this week only, X-Chair is holding their special anniversary sale. So go to xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, glop.com, or call one 844 xchair for special anniversary sale pricing. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month xchairglop.com. So we had a heated discussion before we started here uh, because uh, the shockingly, William Hurt, the actor, died the other day at the age of 71 of uh, prostate cancer. And um, it, was, it was shocking because A, he seemed, he, he's pretty young, and B, because uh, though he was in... Uh, Black Widow, actually, he, he's a he's he's a sort of secondary figure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So he's been in three or four huge hit movies in the last five or six years. It sort of reminded you that he was a gigantic, colossal star for about five years or six years. Right, maybe the biggest prestige actor in Hollywood, Oscar winner, nominated multiple times for Oscars and all that. In 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 genre movies, hit movies, Big Chill, Body Heat. Broadcast news, winning an Oscar, playing a uh, you know a gay prisoner in Chile in Kiss of the Spider Woman, and then his career fell off a cliff after the nineteen <laughs> the movie The Doctor in nineteen ninety one. He just Which is a vanished. terrible movie. Suddenly, he was playing secondary roles in independent movies. Yeah. And uh, apparently a drunk, uh, had major problems with alcohol, major problems with, uh, with drugs. And um, in an interestingly elided uh, piece of information that came out a couple of years before Me Too, um, had actually been violently abusive toward his then-girlfriend, Marley Matlin. She wrote, it's not elided. I mean, she, he just, she describes it in her no, book. He, no, it was elided by the media. Like, oh, if, right. if that Back book then, had come yeah. out in 2018... Oh, my God. William Hurt would have been considered the most evil person on earth. And, you know, there would have been multiple it would, articles it was about it. Harvey Weinstein territory. Right. I mean, worse than Harvey Weinstein. No, not worse than Harvey, well, but worse than Louis C.K. Certainly, according to this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nothing. Beat her up. He, yeah, yeah. She, she had her bruises. Plan. She had a black eye. She had bruises on her on her face. The night that she won the Oscar, he told her she didn't deserve it and that there were hundreds well, of actors who, who got it that, and she shouldn't have gotten it. She was 21 well, years old. He was 35 years old. She was deaf. He wasn't wrong about was a, that. She was great. She was great in that movie. And that, that is a, and huh. he was great in that movie. And it's great. It's actually a wonderful movie uh, and a fascinating movie, given that everybody's talking about Coda, this new movie about a deaf family. Right. Um, uh-huh. She's fantastic in it, but it's just interesting because it's like sick transit Gloria Mundy. Like this guy, you couldn't have been bigger than William Hurt in like 1988. And then by three, three years later, he was bupkis. Yeah. He was, uh, he was, he was, he was trash on the ground. Two words, Skeet Ulrich. 
<laughs> I mean, Pete Ulrich didn't win an Oscar. No, but you know what I mean? It's like, like it's, yeah, he's like, the, 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 uh, three things happen, right? One, he got too difficult. Uh, and then two, there's always competition. There's always somebody else. There's always somebody a little younger. There's always, and the third thing is he wasn't funny. He couldn't do comedy. He wasn't funny at all. At I do all. not he wasn't agree funny. with this. I know. He was not funny in a box. He was not funny with a box. Fu- <laughs> he was not funny. <laughs> He was, and I'm not saying he's a bad actor. He just wasn't funny. He was and funny. So when you don't have that skill, you can't be light. You can only do parts like this, which is what he did. And that, you know, it's that hurt you. That hurt you. He was you, funny. Just, he was no, funny. Let, in let, me, let me then let me rephrase it. Nobody in the entire universe of Hollywood. In the giant umbrella of the entertainment industry, no casting director, no film director, no studio executive, no studio CEO, no writer thought he was funny. You they thought, thought he was Pauly funny. Shore you should have had sorry. your own. They you thought Pauly your- Shore was funny. Those very same people made movies with Pauly Shore. So I am not going to uh, so, sit here so, and okay. have you diss William Hurt, who <laughs> was dry and clever and I am not saying that Pauly Shore was fantastically funny was, line readings. He was not funny. This is what happens. You, when you, did, when you do it, when you're, when you're in casting a, a, an audition and you put next to somebody who comes and reads for you, th- th- these are the initials you use. NF. Sometimes <laughs> you write NFF if you can <laughs> parse that. He was NFF. So I cannot, first of all, when you guys get into these things, and listeners should know that you guys were arguing about this for a while before <laughs> we started recording, um, I often feel like, you know, my not so much my parents are arguing at the dinner table, but like my two uncles are, and I'm not allowed to interject. I and and I will also add that uh, never what a terrible family. Never have I been so torn by an issue that matters so little. But I do think he brought a nice comedic, dark comedic sensibility to a history of violence. He was great in that role. He was, and he got not, that was his last Oscar nomination. Yeah. He, that and he's for like in nine movie, minutes on screen. He's yeah. not, yeah, for nine minutes, and they're dazzling. And that's the thing about him. He was when he was at the top of his game. You know, he was a sort of golden guy, and I have that. Rob and I had this whole thing beforehand, so we're gonna we're gonna recapitulate it here. <laughs> that there is a kind of hinge moment in his career, and and, and it's sort of movies of the eighties. Uh, early 90s, whatever, when there was a part that he was born to play physically in terms of type, in terms of the way that he conveyed himself with his uh, ar- the arrogance that he showed in The Doctor, which, as you say, is not a good movie, but he it's played a terrible this, movie. But he played a, a jerk. Oh. A jerk. One of the worst, can I just interrupt? You for, I know this. I, I know this. Can I just interrupt for one minute just to reflect? Yeah. Re, re, to tell you the worst. One of the worst pieces of dialogue ever written when recorded on film was in the. He doctor. didn't write it, so you can't blame uh, okay, him. Okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> uh, he's the doctor, and he's being very like he's very arrogant and cold and chilly. And then he himself, oh my God, he's got the cancer of the throat. He can't. And then his wife, though his wife is also something, and he his wife comes home and she sees him. And uh, 
and he's grilling, he's barbecuing outside because he's now he's like kind of like he's a do anything person now. He's getting renewed his uh, sense of life. He's 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 in the in the middle of the winter. He's out on the using the Weber grill. Crazy, right? And she's and uh, she comes out and they exchange. They they have a bad marriage. She says a few words and then she says, uh, "I'm um I'm gonna go inside. It's cold. She's it's cold." And he turns to her and says, "Yes, you are." It is a terrible piece of dialogue that he delivers terribly but but then it's again very deep but if he could be funny that would be a funny piece it's of very anyway, deep anyway I, funny, I hate I sand was a worse line but anyway go on oh that's just, yeah, that's true all right i just want to say this it's so cold. the part yes, that he was are. born to play was sherman mccoy and bonfire of the vanities the biggest misfire the biggest misfire of the of, of the decade brian de palma the worst possible director for the movie. Michael Christopher wrote a terrible script. They took Bonfire of the Vanities and they didn't know what to do with it. And it was a completely misplayed effort to make a sort of some kind of weird straight movie out of this wildly satirical portrait of, you know, this uh, a place New that York. none of those people had ever been. Right, exactly. Yeah. And he was Sherman McCoy and he didn't get the part. And they cast Tom Hanks because, according to you, Tom Hanks was funny and it's amazing that tom hanks's career survives that movie which is bad like bad is bad like there is nothing worse than bonfire of the vanities and i have to say there's a podcast uh ben mankowitz does called the plot thickens on uh which you can get a you know is a tcm podcast and he did a eight episode thing with Julie Salomon who wrote the book about Bob Van 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 we talked about Candy. this we, we already did it's fantastic yeah. and the book is fantastic about like how everything goes how, how can anything go as wrong as this and it sort of lays it out systematically how it can go wrong and how you don't know that it's going wrong could have been um, worse could have had Bill Hurt in it okay we can so but he was a terrible person so we should be we that's should, the that's the, the, the contemporary issue. The reason to bring it into some relevance into the modern world would be to say, how do you deal with a person who has a body work? It's you know you know whatever. Not, uh, he he was good. He's a good actor. Who it turns out was ju- not it turns out, but it was a rat bastard in his life. Not just a bad person, but an abuse. And not just like abusive, like mental. Like he beat up Marley Matlin. His right. uh, wife at the time. How, how, where do you put? It? You, you say the movies aren't good. You say he's not. Uh, how do you figure okay, out? Well, let me. Okay, so let's 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 backdate this because there's a lot of this, right? Kirk Douglas raped Natalie Wood. Kirk du- when Natalie Wood was not even <laughs> 20 years old. Kirk Douglas right. raped Natalie Wood. Because we just had this argument about Natalie Wood, didn't we? No, I don't. Th- I don't think we discussed oh, 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 Kirk David, Kirk Douglas. <laughs> I think the argument like, that you had it coming. What, what, what did we argue? Well, no, about I think it? the argument was like. <laughs> I don't know who. I, well, maybe it was no, I don't think you. it was, was me. Anyway, he raped Natalie Wood. You know, uh, uh, there are all those, all these stories. You know, this guy Eddie Mannix at, at at MGM who covered up all kinds of sex crimes and things that people did, and and you know, figured out how to do that. So if I say to you, Kirk Douglas raped Natalie Wood, and the, I I have no answer to this. Does that mean that you can't like? out of the past or you can't like Spartacus or you can't like, or I don't do know. You like it more. he didn't make that many good movies to be, to be honest compared right, well, to a but, lot of people. Let me put it this but, way. I like 
I enjoy the TV show reruns and on first run of Heart to Heart with Robert Wagner, and he killed Natalie Wood. <gasps> no, you so. can't say that. You cannot say that. That is, we know that A, Kirk Douglas raped Natalie Wood, we know, and B, Kirk Douglas is dead. So there's no, there's no issues with libel or defamation, but you can't. Just how do, how do we know she he raped her? This. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't. I just don't know the story. Uh, I believe the story is that Robert Wagner himself has now conceded there was a famous story that Natalie Wood had been raped by an A-list performer whom she had gone to audition for, and she was not oh, yet. Wow. She was not yet in her majority. Like she was mm-hmm. not. She was 19 or 20 or something like that, and she was forcibly, you know. Wasn't a date, yeah. wasn't anything. It was an audition where he pushed, you know, pushed her down on a bed and violated her. And she talked about it, but would never tell anybody who it was. And then apparently hmm. recently, uh, this has now come out. Probably well, we after. Know it wasn't William Hurt because you said A-list. I was going <laughs> to Okay, Sorry, you know the idea that William Hurt wasn't a list when he was By at way, the top. You of the can't game. even. You can't, I, I say our, our listeners 1980s. are missing out on the video because you can't. I couldn't describe the level of boredom on Jonah Goldberg's face. <laughs> Jonah, I want like, to. I feel like I should be like Chandler from Friends and just start dancing. Okay. While his parents are arguing. Jo- so. <laughs> Jonah, <laughs> look at me! Look at me! Okay, I gotta ask you, Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. Yeah. Uh, you, I'm going to tell you a book everybody Jonah, should read. Who do you love more? <laughs> who do you is, love it, more? is this the do autobiography you, Danny Aiello? Is that no, what you're going to tell me? No, I already t- no, this book, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, which is uh-huh. about the making of The Godfather. And there's a miniseries coming on next month on Paramount Plus about <clears throat> the making of The Godfather based on this book called The, the Offer. Um, and um, so here's my question. Who do you love more? Love, okay? <laughs> James Kahn or Al Pacino? Based on The Godfather solely. And I'm not talking about the character or anything like that. But if you're like, I love that guy. Would oh. you say James Kahn or would you say Al Pacino? I have to say James Kahn. See, know? I would say James Kahn too, even though I think that Al Pacino's performance in The Godfather and Godfather is the greatest feat of acting is like the greatest feat of modern screen acting. I agree. But I mean, look, you gotta I think, love James Conn. I think James Conn is a great actor and there's this whole like angels on a head of a pin argument about the difference between movie stars and actors. Yeah. And it's sort of like there's some people who can reconcile them. Like I think Denzel Washington is a great actor and he's a movie star. And like James Conn, Denzel Washington, there's some of these people that your eye just likes to follow. You know, there's just something charismatic about them. And James Conn is just like that. For sure. But you love Sonny. You love Sonny in The Godfather. He's a yeah. psychopathic, he's a psychopathic killer and a violent guy and all that. And you just love him. And you're heartbroken when he's when he's killed that way. And you're heartbroken for the family when it happens. And that And you wouldn't feel feat. that way if Pacino died. You wouldn't. I mean, you right. Might, yeah. But but it's, it's it's a feat. It's like a feat that he pulls that off. That's all so, I'm saying. I have a question about the Godfather for you guys. We all, I know, I mean, like, for all I know, Rob only thinks it's like the sixth greatest movie of all time, and he'll make fun of us for not agreeing with him. That's fine, but I don't rank art. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> what is? It doesn't have to be a 
huge criticism. But what is what is something about The Godfather that when you watch it and rewatch it again and again that bothers you that you wish they had done better? I have one. Anything? All right, I'll go with mine. I got one. I, I, you got. I'll, I got okay. one too. You think about it, Rob. Go All right, ahead, so. Sean. The fight scene where he where Sonny goes and beats up his brother in law, right? Um, they do this really wide shot, and the first time you watch it, it kind of washes over you. But you know, upon rewatching, you can't unsee the fact that his punches are so wildly missing the target, yeah. and it's badly yeah. staged, and they should have reshot it. Yeah, he's also kicking the uh, he's kicking the stoop rather than Carlo's head. Mm-hmm. And he started I, kind of kicking the stoop, but you know, you really have to and see the actor it three who or played, four times. The actor who played Carlo should yeah. have insisted, kick my head. We got to own this scene against right. the stoop. Yes. Yeah. Right. I do okay. my own stunts. Okay. I think there is only one bad performance in, in the Godfather or like miscast person, in the Godfather, and that's Diane Keaton, who I think is at whom I think who I is a wonderful actress yeah. and is completely miscast. Cause she's supposed to be this like, er, wasp right that's the whole point of her is she's this kind of desiccated new england wasp and he wants her hey 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 careful you're (laughs) you you like grew up in 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 like the west indies so i'm not you're you're exotic you're incredibly exotic (laughs) you were like like on your your rubber plantation um no but i'm just saying like she's supposed to be this kind of you know shiksa princess and whatever diane keaton is that's not her she's too quirky and odd and yeah and, I they get, and, and she has this weird it's like they gave her fake teeth a little bit and her hair she's like she's too modern she doesn't read well the dialogue that also that she was written weirdly she yeah. said when she's mad at him she says you know you have this sicilian thing which i thought was well that's, that's in the like, second movie that's not in the yeah, first but, movie. like even that didn't feel yeah yeah, she's better in the second. She's better in the second movie, although that has she has the worst. You think the dialogue in the doctor was bad when she says it was an abortion, like our marriage is an abortion. That is the worst the, yeah. line in a great movie. That's what she says. The Sicilian thing. Like, yeah. What? Do, what? Do, what, what, yeah. what is this, this Sicilian Dr- thing must end. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah. I mean, like that. That speech is like that is the worst piece of writing in a in an other in a in a great movie yeah yeah i mean ever. the truth is it's a pretty great movie it, it, you know it could have been worse could have had bill hurt in it but it, <laughs> it's still a pretty good movie oh come on he would have been great as the senator think about like old older bill hurt as the senator yeah. with, who you know right. who gets the mm-hmm. although gd spradlin that guy who was so fantastic and he was in he played tom landry in north dallas Forty. he was amazing that guy he was good you're greasy William Hurt, Mr. Mr. Corleone. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there right now that I thought Robert Duvall was perfectly cast, and I won't. I'm not saying that amazing better, but Hurt could have played Tom Hagen. He could have. Yeah, that would have been the only role he could have played. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Here's a here's a little here's a little you know here's what I love about the first one or the second one. I can't remember even which one it is. That when they bring the guy in. The brother, right? The the guy's brother. Yeah. They bring him in from Sicily. Frank Pantangeli's he, brother. Yeah, yeah. That's the brother. second one. Yeah. They, uh, and he's wearing that little, the little like, little 
little weird tie. little bubble tie with yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. basically these two little balls on a string and they yeah. kind of dangle makes him look like looks like a giant like bulldog or something um i just love that i just like that you know you know sometimes like i, I people will wear stuff in, in movies you think i bet you that's going to be a new thing and i don't think i don't think that ever became a new thing funny i, I think, don't I go back in my back issues i think the girl who played apollonia was fine but in she, triple rain in apollonia but i don't think i i think there were many actresses who could have done as well she apparently, uh, this is again like one of these things where it would never happen this way today. She was apparently 16. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, that's a that's a jailbait, you know, mm-hmm. nude scene. That's a yeah, yeah. D- discomfortingly jailbait nude scene. Um, I thought the guy who played her father was brilliant. Uh, I mean, all those all those uh, Sicilians, yeah, uh, were were amazing. You know that Frankie Five Angels is in Godfather Part Two because Richard Castellano, who played Clemenza had crazy lunatic demands. He would, that yeah. was supposed to be his part. And he was like, I need to write my own dialogue. And I have to, you know, I like, they were like, uh, no. And then Guess they what? just sort of, they, they announced he was dead. And then they, they rename. remember he's living, actually, he's living in Clemenza's house. Clemenza takes right. Michael's house when he moves to Tahoe. And then, they just kill off Clemenza, and there's there's Michael Vigazzo playing 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 Frankie Five Angels. So, what is your theory about why the assassins tell Frankie when they're ki- trying to kill him? Michael Corleone says hello when he's supposed to be dead, right? right. So, why say yeah. it? Because the theory the theory you most often hear is he wanted word that, that wanted word to get back as part of this misdirection, but the misdirection wouldn't have gone anywhere if he died. Okay, so I know the answer to this question, and it is a flaw in the movie based on the aforementioned Danny Aiello mm-hmm. improvising. Danny Aiello improvised the line as he was ki- as he was, you know, trying to Friendly. kill Frankie Five Angels in the bar. He uh-huh. said, you know, Michael Corleone says hello, and Coppola liked it, and. In all the, you know, now that we've seen it 80 times, we sort of think through all of these mistakes, but apparently that is the answer. That line wasn't there. And uh, Aiello, you know, who uh, was a, this was his, I think his first movie appearance, you know, and if you remember from a previous clop, I told you this whole story about how he was a, he was a guy who had been a bouncer at the, at a comedy club where they staged a play at late at night and gave him a part. And then he ended up like getting a good review in the New York times for no, for a play that nobody was supposed to see. And then he sort of ended up with his 40 year acting career. Um, it's, you know, he, he had worked at the port authority making announcements at the bus station. I mean, it's an amazing, crazy story. And he improvised this line and screwed up the Godfather part two or added this like Easter egg that has now dr- driven everybody crazy for like <laughs> 50 years about why Michael Corleone would have said hello when he's supposed to be dead. So now I know like sort of in the Monty Python sketch, don't mention the war. We're not supposed to talk about Godfather three, but yes, you know, the Clemenza actors, crazy demands are similar to Robert Duvall who didn't want to take less money than Pacino. And that's why he was written out of the, uh, out of Godfather three, whatever. I think it was a mistake. They should have given him what he wanted. Cause again, 
if you're doing a the a sequel to the two most successful you know movies arguably you know of all time in a way and one of the key actors wants the money give him the money right um but give so the money so, or get george hamilton well that's the thing is like the delta between George Hamilton <laughs> and Robert Duvall. It's actually literally William Hurt. <laughs> now, wait. Now, here's the thing the guy, about the Robert Duvall. Rubens. It's crazy <laughs> that they didn't. Robert Duvall, at that point, at that point, Al Pacino had not won an Oscar. And Robert Duvall had won an Oscar as best actor for Tender Mercies four years earlier. And he's like. Look, everybody is making this movie for money. Nobody is making this movie for love, as the script and its eventual, you know, creation demonstrates. So, I'm, I'm the yeah. most decorated actor here. Well, he yeah. probably pay didn't, he me didn't, like I'm pay me like I'm yeah. a star, and they said no. He didn't ask for more. He said he asked for what we call favored nations. He yeah. said, "I want to get paid what everyone else is getting paid." Yeah. Yeah. Famously, um. John Forsyth, when he signed the deal to play Blake Carrington in Dynasty, uh, he he didn't even ask he, he didn't ask for favorite nations. He was the biggest star in the, in the show at the time. He said, "I just want to. I get paid a dollar more than anybody else." And so when Joan Collins came on, it was like this huge hit, and she was Alexis, and everybody was like, "She was a hugely." And she, she, I think they had a short deal on her, which was a huge mistake. Um, because that she she broke out, as they say, and everybody wanted more of her, and they had to go back and make a deal with her. Um, and she got paid some un- astronomical sum of money that pissed everybody else. It pissed everybody o- on the set off except one person, John Forsythe, who said, "Because I got a dollar more, but you can get like whatever you whatever you get, I'm getting a dollar more, so I don't care." And you know what he did with that extra dollar? He bought himself some Tommy John's underwear because you know Probably. when it comes to men's, how's that? Was that was that a segue? Pretty good. Pretty good. Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear had not John historically Forsyth accurate. Okay. Only <laughs> lived to experience Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. He might still be alive today because it's the full package deal. So to speak. I feel like I want to say. I think like I feel like I want somebody to come to me and say, Rob, point 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 on the doll to where you felt weird when John Podoret said hammock pouch. When you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're that much more comfortable so you can do everything better. With dozens of comfort innovations, maybe if William Hurt had had Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, he would have been funnier. Because mm. once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. Innovations like an air mesh interior hammock and moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands Plus, the legs never ride up, and Tommy John underwear comes with a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Fanatics that call Tommy John's hammock pouch one of life's greatest inventions. With over 17 million pairs sold, men across America love their Tommy John underwear. So get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash glop. Go to TommyJohn.com slash glop for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash glop. See site for details. I'd say they are, they are great underwear. And uh, as I say, look, they, they could have kept John Forsyth from, from dying. That's all I'm saying. John Forsyth, I got to say, was there a more boring actor? You're, I'm setting you up. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> it's the straight man line. Was there ever a more boring actor than John Forsyth? Rob? 
Well, not more boring. <laughs> I mean, the mo- more boring actor than him. And then all of a sudden he wasn't boring at all ever, ever again was Leslie Nielsen, who was so boring. And then, right. yeah. and then suddenly at the age of 60, he turns into Groucho Marx or, you know, Laurel and Hardy or something like that. That's the weirdest transformation ever, I would say. But uh, yeah, but the, 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 the brilliant thing about, about him was that he stayed playing yeah. the same guy. They just yeah, put him right. in crazy positions, right? Right. But then he was crazy. He wasn't just the straight man being straight. Like, that's what he was in Airplane. But then he got crazier and crazy, like in yeah. the Naked Gun stuff. Like, he... sure was doing crazy stuff. It's just, he was like, it turned out like a great comedian. Like William Hurt could have been if he'd been wearing <laughs> hammock don't even, pouch. Don't even give it a shot. Don't even give it a chance. It, 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 is all, it, is, it is everywhere and always true that if you can do comedy, you can do drama, but not the other way around. There is a movie with, with Milton Berle in it called Lepke. It's a terrible movie. It was made by Menachem Golan, directed by Menachem Golan, who himself is a hilarious character. There's a whole movie about his about uh, documentary about Canon Films, which he started, and he made terrible movies. And he made this movie in the in the in in the early 1970s. His first movie in English. He was an Israeli called Lepke, which was about the guy who ran Murder Inc. in Brooklyn, Lepke Buchhalter, and uh, Milton Berle played his father-in-law. I don't remember who played Lepke. Milton Berle's in the movie for five minutes, berating his daughter for getting involved with this gangster. Right. And he is fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Fantastic. Like, like, you know, like knocks it out of the park, you know, this, in this nothing movie that you'll, you'll never see. And yeah, like a, it's, he's Milton Berle, you know, who's of course insufferable in some ways as a, as a comedian. But you know, like yeah, you know, it's all all that stuff. Like Red Buttons was a really good dramatic actor. You know, I don't know, yeah, right? I mean, he didn't do much in Casino, but but uh, Don Rickles was good in Casino. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, And what's his name? Mike Myers has all those weird. Yeah, right. dramatic yeah. cameos and all sorts yeah. of strange things. But he's not a stand. And of course, the ultimate, in my view, the guy that I loved and who I thought was, you know, a stand was Alan King, who was this, oh, yeah. you know, mammoth stand up. And his whole shtick as a stand up was he was the aggrieved suburban father. You know, right. uh, he does have this great, I think I've mentioned this before, but you all you have to do is go to YouTube and type in Alan King survived by his wife. He has an 11 minute routine called survived by his wife which is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. Anyway, Alan King, Sidney Lumet, the director, Sidney Lumet, knew that Alan King was a fantastic dramatic actor, general actor, and kept putting him in movies and then made a movie with him called called Just Tell Me What You Want, in which he basically plays Donald Trump of Alma Lettre. It's like 30 years before Donald Trump, or 10 years before Donald Trump became Donald Trump. It was sort of a New York, a sybaritic New York billionaire who, like, uh, you know, has uh, young women at his beck and call. And, and they destroy so the great. ground floor of Birdriff Goodman, I think, in the opening yeah. scenes. He is movie. so great. And the movie would have been great, except Ali McGraw is the female lead and taught. There's somebody who couldn't act. Yeah. There um, is somebody who invented you know the what? term. Who? Who are we yeah. talking about? Ali McGraw. Yeah. NF. Yeah. NF. Uh, uh, yeah. Also, Jackie Gleason, famously. Jackie Gleason's mm-hmm. great actor. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I saw like 10 minutes of Smokey and the Bandit last night 
while he's waiting to he's watch something smoking else. The bandit. He's great in Smoking the Bandit. He's hilarious in Smoking the Bandit, which is much dirtier than I remembered. If you yeah. don't see, if you see it like on cable, like he calls Sally Field a coos at one point. <laughs> well, I don't know. Have you, have you ever met Sally Field? Maybe if you'd met anybody would call her. Sally Field has a small part on this show, um, Winning Time, this this thing on HBO about the L.A. Lakers in the 70s, where she plays the mother of Jerry Buss, who is the owner of the, the new owner of the Lakers, played by John C. Riley, And she is fantastic in it. Sally Field um, would come every day in the morning when I was in uh, my first moved to LA, I lived in a guest house in Brentwood and I would walk down to the Brentwood Country Mart, which was like a little, now it's kind of a fancy shopping area. But at the time it was basically what they had, they have in, in Southern California a lot, like called the Country Mart. It's a little wooden shack and inside they would put somebody making chickens, roasting chickens. And it was a, it was a branch of the local grocery store. And it was just like your local place you would go to do everything. And there was a little stand, a coffee stand in the center. And I would get, I would buy the trades, which of course I had no reason to read. I did. It made no difference to me who was running home video distribution for Buena Vista or who like, like, like was it idiotic. And there was an old man in the um, one picnic table with a, who in his slippers and a, just a gigantic nurse taking care of him. And that was um, Sydney Sheldon. And then this woman would come in and she, and was Sally field. And like, I basically saw her every day and we became like, Country Mart friends, because the first time I met her, I was reading the trades and drinking my little cappuccino, and she pointed to it. She goes, what is that? And I said, it's a cappuccino. She said, what's on top of it? And I said, oh, they put little, you know, cinnamon on it. And then she said, wait, you can get cinnamon? I said, yeah, you can get cinnamon. You just have to ask them. Why don't I ever ask for that? I, I don't. I don't know you really very well, but but I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe they don't. They 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 should. They offer it to me. So she, you know, I never asked for it. And then she went back up and she got one and she got the cinnamon on it and she showed it to me and she was very. And then from then on, we would like we're nodding friends until I you know stopped going because I got a job finally. Um, for all I know, that she uh, tells the story in a different way. So that's beautiful. Since we brought up uh, Sally Field. Um, um, it's weird, right? So Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood both come to Hollywood at the same time. And apparently the famous story they used to tell was that the casting director or the agent said one of them can't act. And one of them has too big an Adam's apple. And, <laughs> um, I guess, uh, you can figure out who was who, but they also, and this bothered me in the seventies and eighties growing up on their movies. They also just like put their girlfriends in a bunch of their movies, right? So like Sally yeah. Field was all in, in a bunch of Burt Reynolds movies and Sandra Locke was in a bunch of Clint Eastwood movies. But I never thought Sandra Locke could act at all. Do you guys disagree with that? Well, she was funnier than Bill Hurt. She was very annoying in her like Oscar nominated performance. She was in Hard as a Lonely Hunter. Right. Um and uh, you know we we're already talking about Marley Matlin, who was deaf and coded. That and Alan Arkin, uh, not a hearing person, played a deaf person, which could never happen again. I guess. 
right? You could never, right. you could never write. No. no, no hearing person will ever play a deaf person ever again. And Sandra Locke was the girl in Hard as Lonely Hunter, and she was incredibly annoying. And then she sued him and said he destroyed her career because he broke up with her. And then she said right. that he made efforts to, uh, you know, destroy his career. So, so if you read, if you read Sandra Locke, and I think I first read this because of some text exchange that. John and I had a long time ago. Somebody tells me if you read anything about Sandra Locke, it was from that, said, su- such a text exchange. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> uh, she was married for years to some famous sculptor who uh, she had to admit in court. It was always a platonic relationship, never consummated, because even though he was not openly gay, that was sort of the gist. Um, but I'm reading now from the Wikipedia page. Her big coup when she worked at a Tennessee uh, television station was... Um, she hosted the actor Robert Loggia when Loggia visited Nashville to promote his TV pilot for T-H-E Cat. <laughs> Do you guys remember T-H-E Cat or The Cat? The cat? Yeah, I looked was on it? it. It was a one-year action show. Wait, 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 wait. That can't be right because she was already in... No, wait a minute. Uh, t- Wasn't that t- Kim t- Basinger? I asked questions about The Cat, T-H-E Cat. Because it seems to me that John should know. John, don't look down at your computer. You look. Down I know. Your computer. I'm getting an Uber. I'm getting an Uber for my 11 year old son. Uh, if you you must know what? Know. Your your son's gonna just gonna have to wait because I don't want you to look at cheating. Who name two of the stars of The Cat? John Kim Basinger is the only one I got. Is, is that correct? Kim no. Basinger in 1966, 67? No, THE Cat was later. That's why you got the wrong show. THE Cat, Kim Basinger was it. I'm clicking Am on I the right? link and it's taking me to THE Cat. And it says, uh, was an American action drama that aired on NBC's Friday from 9 30 to 10 during the 1966 to 67 okay, season. Okay, I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong. I don't know what Boy, show. Are you? Kim Basinger was on that was called Cat. There was something with Kim it Basinger. It starred Robert Loja, R.G. Armstrong, and Robert Herricart. Take that one for you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, sounds like um, one of those Julian Fink shows. Now I've got to look up uh, Kim <laughs> Basinger and Cat. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I will say. Robert Loggia was a handsome fellow in the 60s. Sure. Back in the day. By the time I knew him, me and my friends, we always used to joke that he was the uh, um, Ernest Borgnine of the 1980s because he was just like in everything as like the same character all over the place. Um, Speaking of Ernest Borgnine, Tova, Tova, Tova Borgnine died. She died. Tova just died. Yeah. That was a happy marriage. I hate to tell you that I just read Ernest Borgnine's memoir. I just read Ernest Borgnine's memoir. And you know what? It was really interesting. It's like a bizarre immigrant How story. How do you have time for parenting? Never um, mind. Uh, dog and cat. Dog and cat. 1977. Kim Basinger and Lou Antonio. Did Lou Antonio ever direct anything that you? He then became a TV director. Lou Antonio. Did he ever direct anything that you made? No, no I I do not remember his work. Okay. I'm I'm multitasking as we're going on because the Uber driver says he's arrived and my son doesn't see the Uber. So this is this is life. Uh, oh, yeah, no, he's in. The, my son is now in the Uber, so we can now. Your son go is on probably to the third you know, a little, a little too distracted. This is by like the, the premiere. He's too absorbed kind of into the. Uh, 
into the pe- autobiography of Kitty Carlisle Hart. He's probably reading that. Like, this like, is the kind of the premiere premiere content that, that, that people that's crave. The story of a, of a, there's a story of a woman in a marriage with a closeted gay man. I thought that uh, really? Kitty, which, really? Moss Hart? Moss Hart was, was huh. a closeted gay, tormented gay man. Yes. Uh, according to Stephen Bach, who wrote his biography, the what guy who wrote the great book about... Uh, uh, I haven't read it actually because I'm not that because I like I I I read Moss Hart's own memoir. Oh, Act one Act is one, one of the great. I, mean, I don't really really need one to of the great biographies. biographies. Yeah. It is one Act of the great fantastic. autobiographies, and I don't need to read a biography. Of Act him, one has one of the it. great show business moments, which um I I I I, 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 I write about um a, a lot if I can or, or refer to it. Act, Act so Act Act one uh, Act one is about Moss Hart um, working with George S. Kaufman. For, uh, on the uh, the movie was called the play was called Solid Gold Cadillac I think, um, or Once in a Lifetime. Well, I can't remember. Which once one. in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. It was once in a lifetime. And uh, they're working together. At this point, Kaufman is a gigantic star, like huge Broadway, big deal. Like he like to be able to work with him and collaborate with him is like it, it's the the pinnacle, right? And so they work every day, and there's some funny stuff about the fact that Moss Hart was younger and was starving the whole time, and, and George Kaufman didn't seem to eat anything, and the maid would bring them one snack. Uh, and Kaufman just sort of sat and wrote and didn't was just super, super focused. Um, and then at the end of the day, Moss Hart would be leaving the house as cocktail hours beginning, and all of show business would be coming in for drinks, like the Marx Brothers and people like that, and the Gershwins. And, um, but they work really hard on this play, and it kind of is dying off uh, uh, in New Haven and other places. And it's like, basically, it's sort of over. And uh, they don't think they're going to bring it to New York. I think it's going to be a flop. And then um, Moss Hart sort of figures out how to fix it based on the things that George Kaufman had taught him in their working together. And he presents a new way to do it to George Kaufman, who says, OK, let's do it. And they redo it. And then it's a huge hit. And on opening night, Kaufman actually plays one of the parts. And on opening night, when everybody's cheering, Kaufman sort of, uh, before the curtain comes down, he holds his hands out and asks for silence from the audience. And the audience says silence, and he says, this play is 80% Moss Hart. And then puts his hands down, and everybody applauds Moss Hart, which is, which is something that no one ever does in Hollywood, is to say... Um, don't I didn't do this. This is this other guy, the young guy whose name you've never heard of. This is his play. Um, and he was a you know, Mitch. It was an amazing story because a lot of the book dramatically is about how terrifying and unfriendly and cold. <laughs> yeah, right. Kaufman was, and he was, he was sort of famously, he was a Algonquin round table, you know, wit. Um, like, I mean, he was like one yeah. of the world's great you know, sort of like Lotharios slept with everybody and he was very, very cold and he terrified Hart, uh, you know, whom he had plucked from obscurity yeah, because right. he had liked this first draft of this play. And then it's the, it's the great surprise ending that he ends up being, you know, incredibly generous. Um, and it's a great, it's a really great book. So I didn't read the biography, but I read about the biography and and that's the, that's the story though. It was a happy marriage. Uh, it was a happy marriage the way Cole Porter had a happy marriage with Linda Porter and the, the uh, Cole Porter wasn't exactly closeted, but um, anyway, uh, given the fact that those men at the time craved secrecy, if they lived today, you know what they would want express VPN because <laughs> express VPN <laughs> protects your privacy and security online. Right. But here's something that they, you might not know and that they wouldn't even understand given when they lived. You can also use express VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Now, 
Imagine Cole Porter and Moss Hart trying to make sense of that sentence. Now, now that so many of us are stuck at home, though, uh, it, uh, you're, you're running out of stuff to watch on Netflix. So, uh, you know, you could use ExpressVPN to binge Doctor Who on UK Netflix. It's so simple to do. You fire up ExpressVPN, change your location to the UK, refresh refresh Netflix, and that's it. Because ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So you think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. It's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason to use ExpressVPN to watch shows is it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag. It's also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more, so you can watch what you want on a personal device or the big screen wherever you are. If you visit this special link right now at expressvpn.com slash clop, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash glop you know before you go on uh, it's it's not quite a joke but it is sort of kind of strange it's like i think all three of us were probably introduced to vpns because of the express vpn ads and <laughs> yes. um and i use i use express vpn um uh but it is really kind of astounding that you can get all of the real true factual information about what's going on in ukraine in russia if you just use a VPN. And the problem is that they don't, not enough people know how to use one. And so, I mean, it's amazing. I keep reading and hearing from like experts on what's going on inside Russia. And they say, yeah, part of the problem is that not enough people use VPNs, but if you did, you could get the BBC, you could get, you know, voice of America and all that kind of stuff. And um, not to say that we would ever sort of go the way of what's going on in Russia, but it's, you know, it's an interesting sort of like bonus reason to have VPN is it's just a slight insurance policy against, you know, government censorship. That is, that is very interesting. And maybe, maybe express VPN can do, you know, can, can, can help here somehow by, um, I don't know, tossing some, tossing some passwords out yeah. to people. Tr- Airdrop some, you know, Somehow. thumb drives all over Russia, just saying, yeah. here's how you can get, you know, outside news. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what Voice of America was for, right? Right, right. That's what uh, Radio Liberty, uh, RFERL, were for, was all to figure out ways to get information across the Iron Curtain. And now, you know, now that's happening in in Russia. I'm still, I'm so staggered uh, by the uh, that video of the... Um, of the the channel one uh uh employee coming onto the air with the sign saying they're lying to you yeah Um, that's amazing uh, i mean it's you know i mean uh it's just it's kind of it's kind of jaw-dropping because it's like it is something like right out of a out of a bad movie and she really did it and god knows what price she's going to pay for having done it and maybe it really you know maybe there are five thousand people who you know who got the message, you know, I mean, we're, we're so used to this here, like people being crazy and starting to shout at press conferences and stuff like that, that we would be inured to it. We'd just say, who's that crazy person saying behind the, you know, standing behind the, uh, the anchorman. But um, I, I don't know if that's true in places where things are more carefully curated and controlled. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to bring everybody down. I just, I think it's interesting. So mm-hmm. yeah. You. 
And yet, you know, yeah. And yet I did. And yet, <laughs> and yet you did. You know who was really good playing an anchorman? William Hurt. Hmm. <laughs> have you really? Denied, have you, have you recently that. rewatched broadcast news? I I have, and the, here's the secret to rewatching broadcast news: Don't. skip the first five minutes. The first five minutes are so bad that you can't believe that they existed in the first place. It's all it's the three lead characters as children. Oh, that's um, right. And it's so it's such a misfire. It's like it's hard to believe. So can you guys ma- make the case for me that Sidney Pollock deserves the reputation that he has? Sidney Pollock? Because yeah. well, that wasn't that was James L. Brooks. Was oh, that's right. I apologize. Is he in? Why am I think? Why am I associating broadcast news with Sidney Pollock? I don't know. Never mind. I don't know. You think of Tootsie? Sidney Pollock, yeah, which was a good movie. I'll yeah. I'll I'll grant you. Sidney Pollock was the glossiest director of the seventies and eighties. He made glossy high wattage star power movies that was and then and then he made this one classic right tootsie is the one real classic and it was the most troubled movie production in history practically and was you know there were 17 scripts and he and dustin hoffman were at you know each other's throats and it was a nightmare and a horror and it was too long and everything and then it came out it's spectacular and it so, remains and, spectacular. you know what Sidney pollock has in common with, with william hurt He's dead. Where's mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Um, but they also both played uh, terrible people who were doctors. Because remember Sidney Pollock in The Sopranos? Right. Uh, and in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. And the funny thing about him oh, in Eyes yeah. Wide Shut is that, that I think that was his last performance before he died or something. And he did it. He and Sidney Pollock, uh, he and uh, Stanley Kubrick had gone to high school, had gone to DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx together. So did my father. Hmm. My father went to DeWitt And your Clinton. father went to DeWitt Clinton. And so okay, did Ben so- Weinberg. So there you go. A lot of that was the school that you went to if you were a you know if you were a promising you know promising kid in the Bronx like Gary Marshall went there. I mean everybody went there, and uh, Harvey Keitel had been cast in that part, and and Kubrick as was his want. Like you know, spent three months making hundred takes per day of Harvey Keitel doing this one scene with Tom Cruise, and then fired him, and then asked Sidney Pollack to fly over and 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 do it. Um, you know, he's the one who says don't don't. Don't go into that room. <laughs> no, don't do it. <laughs> right. Don't go There's into one, that room. One great. Um, we, we, we could, we could, of course, we can wrap it any moment yeah. now. There was one great city policy. I think we moment. passed that moment, but yeah, I don't probably know. have. <laughs> uh, in the Woody Allen movie, Husbands and Wives, mm-hmm. when uh, he, he and his wife have broken up, uh, d- divorced, and he is uh, brings, they go to a party, and he brings his new girlfriend, who's this young woman who's into astrology or something, and um, to the party, and uh, it's Judy Davis. Is Judy Davis? Who's yeah, like, Judy Davis is his ex-wife. Yeah. Judy Davis has like been suffering and everything. And she goes, and then she sees this one <laughs> woman at this party, and like this the one's like like it's like that's that kind of party where you bring somebody who's just and so like that's a very Aries thing that he's a very it's very Capricorn, and so he's like he's furious and embarrassed, and he drags her out. Just get in the car. Just get in the car. And she keeps saying, "Why am I? Why, why am I in the car?" And he's like, you could see his he's humiliated. He realizes he made a huge mistake. He got divorced. He shouldn't have gotten divorced. He's with the wrong person. This girl and he's got a stupid and it's just a great comic rage scene from the front door to the car where he keeps shouting just get in the car just get in the car it's great it's very very good so dustin hoffman insisted that sydney pollock play his agent in tootsie sydney pollock was the director sydney pollock hadn't acted in 25 years dustin hoffman hated sydney pollock hated him 
and and they had a terrible time together and they would never work together again and all this. And Hoffman was so right because that is one of the great supporting comic performances of of the 1980s. Sidney Pollock is the agent. Um, and it's so weird because they hated each other and then Hoffman gave him this kind of weird second career sure. uh, as an actor uh, out of nowhere because he had, he, had, he had stopped doing that. Dustin Hoffman, by the way, another terrible person, another terrible person. I just... When Meryl Streep was in Kramer versus Kramer, it was her first movie, her first you know off off television movie, and uh, and he like in the first week he was doing a scene with her and he wasn't happy with how she was reacting, and he slapped her across the face. He slapped her across the face, and apparently. Seven or eight years ago, she was on Andy Cohen's show on Bravo, and he did this, you know, uh, you know, uh, have sex with, marry, or kill. And he said, uh, have sex with, marry, kill, uh, Pacino, uh, uh, Nicholson, and Hoffman. Mm. And so she said, have sex with uh, Nicholson, marry Pacino, and kill Hoffman with a machete. <laughs> um they i love the game because it's always nicholson pacino or hoffman it's never you know nicholson pacino nelson riley <laughs> they did a good piece on npr the other day about all the people that they almost cast for the various roles in the godfather just to bring this full circle yeah and apparently they looked really hard at dustin hoffman for the uh, michael corleone role which i think would have been disastrous but the really interesting could have thing been worse. was could have been worse. <laughs> the really d- interesting part was no one wanted Brando for The Godfather. He was no considered one. sort of a jerk and washed up and all that kind of stuff. And they thought about Orson Welles, who I yeah. think could pull it off. Um, Bert, Bert probably, at the point, might have been skinnier. Yeah, and Burt Lancaster was one. And apparently, the that Brando only got interested in the role. He didn't want the role. Until he heard that uh, Lawrence Olivier was being considered, and he was like, "Oh, a real actor? I, he can't play a mob boss. I'll do it." That kind of thing, which is, I don't know, sort of interesting. You can see maybe this is the last thing you can see on YouTube or somewhere. There is a silent thing where they did this. It's described in the book that I talked about, but you can see it where uh, they were doing a a, t- a silent a test of Brando because he was 46 when they made it. They were doing a test to see what he could look like in makeup to do this for, for Coppola to send back to New York so that the people in New York would let him cast Brando. And it was Brando who came up with the idea of boot blacking his hair, putting little bits of um, cotton uh, under his lower lip and upper to push out his mouth a little bit. And you can watch this five minute film silent of the transformation of Marlon Brando, who had long blonde hair into Don Corleone. And it is Hmm. awe inspiring. Like Hmm. the, and you know, he is only in that movie for 19 minutes. And okay. Can you also say as he was a great, great actor, maybe one of the, probably one of the greatest actors ever. Lawrence Olivier would have probably been terrible. Oh, he would have been terrible. He would With have been the awful. accents and everything. Yeah, he would have done something yeah. I, I want to tell you. Uh, yeah. you know, like that. You no, know, like he, he would have been. I mean, he the, the, been. he's the he's the guy. I have no son. Yeah. 
So like he would have yeah. been terrible. <laughs> no, I mean that's the thing about Brando. Like that is a that that he built that character from the you know inside out, and it that is if you want to talk about the notion of an iconic character, that character changed the world of gangsters. Right. I mean that character that move you know like created. Yeah. You know, an you know an entire generation of uh, the idea of what a crime boss is. He created, right, with the soft spoken and the this and the crime you know, bosses then, were more yeah. crime bossy. Well, the funny thing is, when it would took like twenty years, and then they released those tapes of the Ravenite Social Club that they that they had taped. Uh, in Greenwich Village uh, to get John Gotti, um, you know, when they when they were breaking up them, when Giuliani was breaking up the mafia, and they had they used these, they had bugged this social club, and then everybody heard what gangsters actually sounded like, because everybody thought they were like, I will not, we will all resist. It is very important that we come together here at this table, Don Corleone, right. as we uh, as we negotiate together to do, you know, and that is not what they actually sounded like in real life, because what they sounded like in real life was, you know, like that, like they were animals, you know, they were like literal animals, but we had all changed our perception of what gangsters were like from this genius performance and this whole conception of them as kind of like, you know, Roman emperors or whatever it was. Anyhow, in fairness to Lawrence Olivier, just let me put it out there. Marlon Brando would have been terrible as the Mengele character from Marathon Man. Yeah. Or or, 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 as, or, as, or as Simon Wiesenthal right. in The Boys from Brazil. That's the one. The Vice Angle. The Vice Angle. The yeah, Vice Angle is here. He, he would have been really pretty bad. Yeah. But he might have been as good in the Betsy. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Okay, the bet now. I that is no a very son. the ultimate trivia quit. Well, he doesn't say I have no son. In the I, know, Betsy. I know, I know, I know, I know. Just, yeah. yeah yeah and uh that that is a that is a movie for the ages the betsy both the betsy the- and the jazz singer yeah that's true the ultimate uh yeah the jazz singer is un- unimaginably unthinkably bad uh and neil diamond wisely never tried to act again which was which was smart of him anyway we are really really like this I think is going we, on I think, forever i think when it- talking about neil diamond in the jazz singer yeah, i don't you know think- would have been good in the jazz singer william <laughs> william <Hurt. laughs> see what we're doing on this clop is we're making up for poor quality with volume yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> you okay, may not wait, like last, it but okay, there's, quick, there's plenty quick, of quick. it 30 seconds 30 seconds scott emmergut wants us to do Zelensky casting, who should play Zelensky in the movie about Zelensky and the obvious answer is william Zelensky. Hurt. <laughs> Zelensky right. played Zelensky on a Ukrainian sitcom, which is how he ended up becoming Zelensky. So if he survives and there's a movie, he should play Zelensky. But then we yeah. failing that. Does anybody have anybody yeah. to play Zelensky? Oscar Isaac. Perfect. I don't You're even welcome. have a. I, I was going to say Ralph Ulrich. He looks a little like Ralph Macchio. But Oscar Isaac is the perfect choice. Yeah, but but Skeet Ulrich, his arms are getting really tired waving that billboard outside that cell phone store. Well, that's so, not like... a reason to give him the part. It's not a reason to give him a starting part, Jonah. He can work on the show. He doesn't get the yeah, yeah. He can play the defense minister. There's a a, a supercut if you want to see a funny supercut of uh, of Martin Short uh, 
to, uh, as a guest on the old David Letterman show. And he had this thing. Every time he Marty Short was on the show, he did the same thing. He'd say, like, Dave, you look great. What are you doing? Like, I saw you out there rehearsing, and I thought, oh, oh, oh my God, is Dawson's Creek here? I mean, you look so good. <laughs> they would do a new one every time. And he said, like, I came out and said, where's Dave? I, I, I'm going to be interviewed by Skeet Ulrich. You're giving Skeet Ulrich vibes <laughs> to me. And he would just, and there's somewhere on, on YouTube, there is a, just great. It, he, does, he, he was a master at that. Great at everything. Greatest talk show guest. Next Without to Mel Brooks, I would say he was the greatest of all talk funny. show guests. And now we're Very really... Funny really stretching it so you know who else would is a great talk show guest william hurt because if he didn't do well he just you know beat up the woman next to him <laughs> all right wow <laughs> i i know you, you like guilty it of scott making this thing dark Eddie, my right. scott. vpn commentary <laughs> oh my god uh this, this is turning into no exit so maybe we should exit okay okay Goodbye. See you, see you real soon. Yeah, see you real soon. If they let us back on, let's. If they if they let us keep doing this, we should do another one. Yeah, you're only <laughs> going to get to hear it if you use ExpressVPN in Russia. That's really the only way. Bye, guys. Spader. Take the cannoli. Ricochet. Join the conversation.